0: Welcome to Cage Club, Episode 3. This is Valley Girl. That's Mike Manzi. I'm Joey Lewandowski. We're glad that you're back. I have never seen Valley Girl before. I just watched it for the first time. Mike, I think you were just telling me that you had seen it before. Have you seen it a lot, or have you just seen it once a long time ago, or what's your experience with it?
1: I've seen it before. I haven't seen it recently, probably 15, 20 years ago, I'd say. A good 15 years. Uh, But at that time, I watched it uh, quite a bit. <laughs> on vhS uh, so what did you what did you think uh, of Valley Girl for your first time?
0: I liked it a lot. It was sort of I, I realized that you know Cage Cage's top build, and this is and I think it's important to talk about now uh, that he's no longer nicholas Coppola he's Nicolas Cage yeah uh, he, he wanted to break free from his from Francis Ford. he wanted to sort of set his own path. he didn't want to rely on the nepotism of having you know one of the most famous directors be one of his relatives. So he apparently, according to Wikipedia, and I think I've heard this before, he took his stage name from Luke Cage, the Marvel character, who later this year or maybe next year is going to have his own Netflix series. And so I think it would be really, really amazing if Nicolas Cage had like a cameo or like a recurring role on the Luke Cage TV series. It would be great
1: if he could revive... Is uh, Ghost Rider character? <laughs> that yes. him and Luke Cage good team. Maybe he'll appear as Ghost Rider in the uh, in the Marvel movies again. That'd be great. But uh, I mean, he is a big comic book fan, so that's a really interesting. I didn't, I never heard that, but that's that makes sense to me. You know, a guy who names his son Calle would take his stage name from a comic <laughs> book hero as well yeah you
0: because know? it's such a it's such like a strong sort of bold name and I was trying to figure out where it was coming from. Uh, but yes, it's named after Luke Cage and we are here in movie three he's now the top billed actor. He's now a star pretty much the rest of his career. I mean there's some movies where he's not the lead, but you know this is the first of many where he's the top billed person. but really, and I wrote this down later in the movie. There are long stretches of this movie where he's just not in it. Yeah,
1: he's not necessarily the lead character. I think, you know, the, the titular Valley Girl is Julie, you know, and it's, for the most part, her her journey. And, you know, she does meet uh, Randy very early, but you're right, um, he sort of disappears here and there. He's mostly there to service her story.
0: Yes. I guess it's, it's not called Punk Kid from Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. It's exactly. called Valley Girl for a reason. We are following her as opposed to following him.
1: Yeah. But uh, but yeah, you know, that'd be great if there was some sort of companion movie that was called Hollywood Boy. <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely. I was looking into, you know, who directed this movie, who wrote this movie, what Deborah Foreman, as you said, the titular Valley Girl, what else she's been in. And Martha Coolidge, I think the only other movie that she's done that I've seen is Real Genius. You know, there aren't too many female directors. It's something that a lot of people have talked about in in other places, that it's sort of, you know, there's no reason for there not to be female directors, but there's just not a lot. The only other thing that I thought was sort of funny was that she did Valley Girl in 83, and then her next movie was called City Girl. I I don't think they're related at all.
1: I've never heard of it, but uh, it could be a coincidence.
0: It only has 33 reviews on IMDb, so I don't think it ever was, you know, Released to any great extent, but I just thought it was funny that she did Valley Girl and then she did City Girl. Interesting,
1: sort of a pseudo sequel, perhaps. Maybe further investigation required. Exactly. Um, it's funny how you know you, you do bring up an interesting point about female directors, uh, and yet we're three movies in, and the last, this movie and the last movie were both directed by women. It's true. Yeah, Amy Heckerling directing Fast Times, and then Martha Coolidge directing. Valley Girl. And all all three movies so far ending uh, at a dance.
0: Yes. I was noticing that there are lots of school dances in all of these movies. We are dealing with
1: high school teenagers, but still, (laughs) I was, was a little surprised. We're three for three.
0: Lots of shopping, and also Cage on the Beach Again. Cage Again.
1: I'm convinced he hasn't left the beach. Introduced Again on the Beach... Introduced sort of in a <laughs> Daniel Craig Casino Royale esque <laughs> coming out of the beach, almost like you know, from the the girl from Doctor No. That's what that's what I thought for some reason.
0: Pretty much. I mean, he's not. It's not as an impressive an introduction. He's not doing one arm push ups. He's just sort of standing there, but he's catching the eye of all these valley girls, especially Julie, who says, "What a hunk." <laughs> uh, and so now i think the the important thing and i, I thought I, you know it's it's not like it's some real secret subtext but i thought for a little bit that i'm like oh it's just, you know it's a modern day romeo and juliet and then i saw their names it's randy and julie r and J, and I was like oh that's really cool and then about halfway through the movie they're just walking down the street in front of a theater and they walk away and the camera just stays on the marquee that just says Romeo and Juliet. It's like, hey, in case you didn't realize, this is a modern-day Romeo and Juliet.
1: Yeah, it kind of reveals that sort of early on, if you know Romeo and Juliet, I I feel. But it goes from subtle to, you know, blatant to, you know, haven't noticed, we're hitting you over the head with it. But that, it works so well as an adaptation of Romeo and Juliet. I don't miss any of the side characters, you know, like, I wasn't like, where's, who's the Tibble?
0: There's, like, Benvolio and all these different names, and I was trying to see if the name, the initials, just like, you know, Randy and Julie match up, if any other initials matched up, and there was nothing, you know, immediately apparent.
1: They meet at a party, right? Yeah. And, like, they're from the, they're from two different sides of the tracks, in this case, but in... Romeo and Juliet, just two of the, the two warring family factions. So, yeah, uh, everything except that neither of them die at the end, which is which is Neither of them die. Which is great. I'm so glad they don't die.
0: Because you, you sort of wonder, when you realize that it's Romeo and Juliet, you think, oh no, is he going to die at the end? Spoiler alert, they ride off into the sunset, happily ever after.
1: There is a moment during the Dark Knight of Cage where I was I was a little scared for him. Toward the end of this movie that he was, he got into that self-destructive mode and...
0: uh, He almost got into a fight with those guys
1: in that car. Yeah, and his friend told him they would have killed him.
0: Yeah. It was like a
1: reference to the end of Romeo and Juliet.
0: (laughs) He was really close to dying.
1: And twice, uh, early on, someone asks if he has a death wish. So there's like these allusions to the ending that they never do. Which is, which is still pretty cool. You could have their cake and eat it, too. So I guess
0: going back to the beginning, there were two other things that I've noticed that are sort of consistent through the first three Cage movies that we've watched. All three have been, I think, in or around L.A. Like, he's not straying too far. They're all pretty much the same movie, in a sense. And now it's two movies in a row with a Brad. Huh. Interesting. Wasn't there a... There was a Brad in Fast
1: Times, right? Yeah, yeah Bradley. The role that yeah. he, he was supposed to play. That uh, Exactly,
0: R- yes. Right. Brad's bud. Yeah, Yeah. so two movies in another, Brad. I think Brad is just sort of a stereotypical
1: think, 80s name. We have the good Brad, and now we have the evil Brad. The bad Brad. Oh, oh, I'm thinking Tommy. I'm sorry. Which one is Brad, his friend?
0: Brad's Tommy's friend. I don't know if you ever really talk about... You, they say Brad's name a lot. He was wearing
1: that amazing sort of windbreaker, right? That pastel, yeah, the, the, the
0: pastel like, red, ju- yellow, and blue one. Yes,
1: Yeah, amazing. it like blows off Julie. And then Tommy comes up and is like, (laughs) he blew you off.
0: Oh, also, one other thing before we get off track. It's two movies in a row that I noticed with that same Devo poster. The whole band with the red hats on. Oh, no kidding. Hmm. Yes. So it's really like they took Fast Times and then just sort of made it worse. Like, I like Valley Girl, but it's not as good, I don't think, as a movie as Fast Times.
1: Yeah, it's following maybe one or two characters from Fast Time all the way through, you know? Right. Uh, And I think it might even go to show, if you had done that with Fast Times, that movie may not be as interesting, you know, that there might not be enough there for an entire movie uh, with each of those characters. And here it gets because they can lean on Romeo and Juliet they have more material to work with there that's sure. like a great thing to hang this film on yeah but you're right you're right it feels almost fast times light or like this is what another high school at the same year you know this is going on across town or something to that effect
0: right although if they were happening in the same universe the girls in this movie would not be friends with Jennifer Jason Leigh And Phoebe Cates. Yeah. Because these girls are like the biggest prudes in the world. And they're just like talking about, like basically talking about how icky sex is. And that's sort of what everything about Fast Times is about. Which again sort of goes back to the most realistic depiction of high school. And I think that, you know, of the three that we've seen, this one's sort of like an idealized version. Almost kind of like, you know, what parents want their kids to be doing. The Best of Times is sort of like written by people who apparently have never been teenagers, who have no idea what's going on. And then Fast Times is sort of more of an honest kind of realistic depiction of kids and what they're doing and what they're saying and how they're talking and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, this movie is a little more like of a stereotype of teenagers, I feel, but the way that they talk and their mannerisms and and their materialistic nature, it's all very heightened to a degree, I believe, and it an actual reality just a little bit just to sort of uh show you know their differences culturally from where they live you know hollywood versus the valley just showing the contrast i just feel like nick cage (laughs) kids like that i don't know he just seems like he's putting on a tougher front than he would and she seems like she's putting on more of like this airheady front than she would whereas in like fast times like everyone just felt very natural
0: definitely I guess we should probably go through the movie. So, the Valley Girls. So we have Julie, and we have her best
1: friend, Stacy.
0: And they have their other friend, Susie. And they have some fourth girl whose name I don't know.
1: Played by Dottie from Phoebe's Big Adventure. Yes. Uh, yes, yeah, I think she was Lauren or Lori.
0: Some generic, you know, Valley Girl name. They, the four of them were just at the beach talking about a big party that's going to happen that night. And they see Nick Cage and his punk rock friend. They, his friend overhears where the party is. So the two of them go to the party. The four Valley girls are there. Julie had just broken up with her boyfriend, doesn't want to talk to him. She sort of has this crush on Nick Cage. They show up. They sort of have a good time. Then they get kicked out. After they get kicked out, they're driving away, and then Nick Cage pops out of his car and has one of the greatest, I think to this point, the best Nick Cage moment in his career. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, he's been pretty reserved in this film, especially mostly relying on looks and things of, like that, and his batting his eyes and stuff like that.
0: He, he's almost like Ryan Goslingy for the first
1: part of this movie. That's a good call. That's a good call.
0: Like, just like a really pretty boy who just, like, looks at you and makes you fall in love with him. Right,
1: he's got those, like, puppy-dog eyes, right? And he's the strong, silent type at this point.
0: But he's got better hair than Ryan Gosling's ever had. He's got
1: this feathered coif that, that just... I don't know. It, it, I don't know how they did that. That's Hollywood.
0: His, hair, his hair is on point in this movie. Yeah. What I'm kind of sad about is on the DVD cover, his hair is, like, dyed blue and pink, and it's, like, more spiked, and it's, like... It's crazier than it ever is in the movie. And I was sort of hoping for that. But I guess the DVD cover, like he has like some outfit and some hairdo that he never wears in the movie that's just like the, the, the pinnacle of crazy punk rock cage. And I'm sort of sad that we didn't get that, but I'm also really happy with the final product of what his hair actually looked like in the movie.
1: <laughs> yeah, while well, he's got it, he makes it work really well. He's pulling it off here today.
0: Exactly. And so as they're driving away, cage pulls over gets out of his car and has the best monologue to this point
1: who the fuck was that guy huh and i was doing all right with that chick who the fuck does he think he is maybe he's your boyfriend nobody is
0: gonna tell me who i can score with i want this chick she wants me so fuck it we're going back so after he has this amazing monologue and decides that they have to go back to the party they get back to the party but one thing that's sort of interesting, you, we were sort of talking about this earlier, you really liked how he describes Julie, like the words that he uses, the sort of, you know, the rhetoric that he uses.
1: Yeah, um, the vernacular in this movie is interesting in, in the way everybody talks. You know, you, you definitely have the Valley speak, that the people in the Valley, is, you know, more mostly the, the girls are speaking it and uh, it's, it's almost like they're, it's almost like clockwork orange to a degree sometimes where you're trying to decipher them uh, and then even Cage you know throws out a couple lines when he's right after he's love struck and tossed from the party and he's telling his best friend you know about what happened and he just says uh, that chick Julie she's truly dazzling yep yeah. Which is not one of ours. You know, and uh, that's just such an interesting phrase to use, dazzling. You know, I just wasn't expecting him to to come up with that one. I just thought maybe he would be like, that chick is bitching, right? He <laughs> rocks my world, you know? Yeah, it's, like,
0: a, it's a very eloquent turn of phrase for someone characterized as like this kid from the wrong side of the tracks
1: yeah they they portray him as trash but he's actually quite sensitive that we will see that sensitivity come you know julie brings that out of him
0: oh definitely i almost
1: wonder if he was aware he was that sensitive to begin with (laughs) and he's not discovering it for the first time as well
0: so they get back to the party and instead of walking in the front door like i'm not sure
1: this is awesome
0: it's a weird plan for anybody to have. But
1: it's so, a plan is what I love. Like, it's such it's a plan. teenage thing like, to do.
0: So they're kicked out of the party, and then they finally get back to the party. And instead of walking in the front door, Cage climbs, it looks like, to the second floor bathroom <laughs> and climbs through the window. And instead of, you know, going out into the party and trying to find Julie, he just gets in the shower and sits in the shower and waits and waits and waits. For Julie to go to the bathroom. And they show, you know, four or five groups of kids come in, people making out, people smoking weed, people just doing their makeup. Nobody actually using the bathroom for a
1: bathroom purpose. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. No one did actually come in to use the bathroom. It's just sort of
0: like they could have played that for a comedic moment. They could have played that for him being like in an awkward situation. They just didn't do it. Everybody's using the bathroom for literally every other purpose.
1: I think it was just to sort of show off, like uh, the fashion for one, like everyone in the, mm-hmm. <laughs> like the Valley fashion of the '80s, and then um, just like what kids do at parties. So you sort of see a little bit of this in stuff like Clueless as well. Well, they'll just be like, "You know, we just got to cover the party," and you know, since he's in the bathroom, what kind of what kind of stuff goes on there during parties? Uh,
0: one thing I did notice in the bathroom scene, and it's something that we've seen in this and in Fast Times. There's so much casual nudity in 80s movies, where mm. just, like, girls just take their shirts off, you know, in these movies because they're, they're making out with guys. It's sort of something that like, I would think were only in horror movies, but it just seems like any time you have, like, 18 or 19 or 20-year-old girls in 80s movies, they just take their shirts off. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I almost wondered if it's like they know they're making an art film and they're gonna they're gonna have that rating anyway, you know, for for language or or sure. or whatever. So maybe they're they're just like, you know what, like to go all the way, you know, make it raunchy, right? Like, yes, let's really just you know go all out with it, just earn it if you're gonna have it. And they do. They do earn it. And this one, there's like four shots of uh, four topless shots from like, Yeah. Forward. And there's like a poster on a kid's bedroom wall where a girl is like top half topless too.
0: Yeah. Shit that's there and then in Fast Times all over Spicoli's room it's naked women. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's just weird to have like I don't I think I think it's weird today just to have naked women on your walls. But I guess hey, this is early '80s. You're on a movie set. It's just totally normal. I think it is
1: like pre-internet. People might forget how valuable Playboy was, especially like <laughs> that long ago. You know, so those, that's all you got. It that's all you got until you saw one in person. Yes. So on the bedroom wall it went
0: cuz like in, in fast times uh Spicoli's talking to Forrest Whitaker's younger brother and they're talking about the new centerfold yeah. and just talking about how bigger boobs are. Like that's just like a topic of conversation. Like that's not a thing that people talk about anymore because we take everything for granted.
1: Yeah, like we used to talk about, you know, the swimsuit issue, Sports Illustrated, right? Like right. that sort of faded out too. Yep. Um, it's a great sign of the times.
0: So finally, after waiting through basically half the party coming to the bathroom. Julie finally comes into the bathroom. Nick Cage comes out of the shower, and just walks up behind her, and she doesn't freak out. Like I don't know how you don't freak out in that situation. She thought he
1: was so rad for doing it, you know. Like he's totally nuts for coming back to this party, and he just she just loves that about him.
0: <laughs> but it's, it's almost like she was expecting to see him there. Like she just doesn't uh, react. She just like looks up and smiles.
1: That's a good point too. That could be part of sort of the love struck nature of their relationship because they do fall in love at first sight it's like you hear cupid's arrow type stories you know sure they never they say hi to each other and they're already in love with each other you know and
0: i think she's in love with him just by seeing him on the beach
1: yeah yeah and him seeing her he doesn't even see her eyes she's wearing sunglasses and he's still like that's the girl of my dreams it all happens real fast um, and he even, like, tells her that
0: he loves her really, really fast. Like, in, like, the, the second or third time they're hanging out, they're already on to, I love you.
1: Well, I also think it could just be, uh, they need to speed things up, obviously. They don't have, you know, they can't tell a four-hour movie. But it also sort of goes to show the the, the kids' thought process, you know? Yeah. Like, um, also, like Romeo and Juliet, like, you know, you're the only one for me to the end of time. And it's like, well, you're crazy. You guys are, like, 15, you know? You don't You know nothing. But, like... <laughs> It's great for storytelling purposes when, when kids just, like, fall in love and, like, that's all that, that matters to them. Right. Julie
0: and Randy are in the bathroom, and he convinces her to leave the party, and so she grabs Stacy, and they leave, and they go on a double date. The, the weirdest part of this double date is they're driving down, you know, you know, Hollywood Boulevard or whatever, some bustling L.A. street, and Nick Cage knows everybody Every- in the city. And they all know him, and they can all hear him as he's driving and yelling to them, and he's just having conversations with everyone. Like, this guy is, again, like he was king of the beach in the best of times, he is the king of Hollywood. Yeah. He's Valley Girl.
1: Yeah, he's the king of the strip. He, you're right. It's just, he comes alive, you know, they, they, they cross the border, he's back in his hometown in his element, and... You know, he could be himself. He's not, you know, reserved like he was at the party.
0: And as much in his element as he is, she is just as far out of her element. Especially, I mean, she's sort of along for the ride because she's there with him. Stacy is like real uncomfortable. <laughs> um, I mean, I wouldn't be comfortable in her position too if I was sort of thrust upon this double date with that weirdo friend of Nick Cage's. Yeah, she but feels kidnapped. She- she does feel kidnapped, and I think I think rightfully
1: so. Yeah, because she was kidnapped. By it.
0: <laughs> exactly. This is sort of where we have the cage advice, where we talk about the advice that somebody gives, usually Nick Cage gives to someone, the moment that rings true in the film. And he's just talking to Julie and Stacy at the part at the at at this punk rock club, and he says, you know, this is the real world. It's not fresh and clean like a television show. This is what living is this is what you're missing out on. Yeah. So we're going to play a little bit of a clip here just so you can get a sense of what what his cage advice actually is.
1: You guys think you're so different, don't you? We are, we're
0: ourselves.
1: Oh, and we're not?
0: You're like her and all the rest of her friends. You're all fucking programmed. So where's it like to be so
1: free? That's a good question. So I kind of thought that was pretty... Going pretty deep for for this type of movie, you know. Uh, up until now, <laughs> there weren't yep. any real proclamations about uh, existence or anything like that. We were just yeah. There's
0: just a fun. couple. There's a couple real weird like tonal shifts. Like this is one of them. Um, another one, and this is back at the party when Tommy's making out with that girl in the amazing one-piece red jumpsuit. Yeah. And she like stops him when they're making out and says, "Hey, does this mean that we're together now?" And he basically just says, no, it means that you're a bad friend for cheating on your friend with her boyfriend when they're on the rocks. Yeah. And then he leaves, and she just, like, sits there in silence, just looking incredibly sad it was... for, like, three or four seconds.
1: It was ultra-realistic. I think that came with having a female director, you know? I think that might have... Hit close to home at some so on some level, but you're right. Like it, it sets up just how much of a dick Tommy is, right? That's Julie's ex boyfriend, right? And right. was so much happier for her to be with with Randy now. You know that if she if he's like scheming on, you know, her friends like this. What was she, what was he doing when they were dating? Right, just so glad they're not together <laughs>
0: now. And like you know he is not good to Stacey. He slut-shames this poor girl, who I don't even know if she has a name or not. It's it's Lauren. Lauren. Yeah. Lauren, I feel bad for you. I love your one-piece jumpsuit. I feel bad that this guy took advantage of you. After the Cage advice, when they're in the club, they have their first kiss. And I think this is the first kiss that Nick Cage has ever had on screen,
1: right? First on-screen Cage kiss.
0: It's a landmark and a milestone and history here in Cage Club.
1: I don't usually think of him... In romance, I, I struggle to, to think of romance, romantic cage. Well, I guess when we get to Leaving Las Vegas, we'll, we'll see him kissing a little more often. But uh, Sure. But,
0: There's a couple of movies coming up that I'm not too familiar with that seem like they could be romantic. You know, Peggy Sue got married, Moonstruck. I don't know exactly what they're about, but I feel like they could maybe have romantic subplots. But this one is really a romance at its heart. Yeah, and they kiss a
1: lot on their first day that they met. Yeah. <laughs> They're right into it.
0: They go to some overlook and they're just making out while Randy's friend and Stacy are just like, he's just chasing her around the car. And they sort of kiss a little bit and then she just like freaks out and can't do it anymore. Yeah, she plays hard to
1: get. She'll give in eventually.
0: (laughs) And she's not happy with her situation either, but she's not willing to to give it up to accept that yet.
1: Yeah, she's she's got that syndrome when you sympathize with your captors and things. like
0: <laughs> <laughs> She's got Stockholm syndrome. Stockholm that. syndrome, that's it. Yeah.
1: That's what she's she it's coming on.
0: One thing that's really, really weird about this movie is that well first of all, we need to talk about how Nick Cage is literally eighteen years old and does not look like any eighteen year old that I've ever seen.
1: Yeah, playing his age here.
0: And he, he really could be he looks like he's in his mid to late twenties.
1: Yeah, I think part of it's the height, part of it is the chest hair, <laughs> which he is shaved into a quasi Superman logo. That's all I was thinking. I mean, just because of the recent news of him, you know. At one time he was gonna be Superman. I just I see his chest hair the way it's shaped, like a like a triangle in this, and I just It's all, like
0: his family crest.
1: It's all I could think. It's all I could think this time.
0: So he's eighteen. All these kids are pretty much I was looking up at some of their ages, they're all about twenty, so they're all playing, you know, roughly their own age. But these moms of these girls are like thirty five years old. They're way too young and way too attractive to be moms of high school girls.
1: I think in the case of the girl who's thrown – you know, the, the mom who, who tries to get with Skip's the, yeah, I looked her,
0: her, her name is Lee Purcell, and she was 35 when this movie came out. I,
1: I believe her character, there's a. There's one line at the party where she says, um, after her, I'm just the stepmother, after her father passed away, she's gotten so competitive. So it's, I think that girl's being raised by her stepmother, and that can account for why they're close in age.
0: Okay, and I guess in Stacy's mom, she and her dad just got married in September or whatever they were saying because they saw the pictures from the wedding on the. So maybe that she's not her mom, mom either. Maybe that's a stepmom. Yeah, and it
1: seems you know to, to to delve further into the California stereotype, it seems very California to me <laughs> with the the divorce and the and the multiple marriages. I mean, this comes up again. I mentioned Clueless, but you know, her dad was on like his fourth marriage. So, uh, I don't know, I just, I just sort of chalked it up to part of the culture.
0: But what's really weird is that when Skip comes over and Susie's mom, I don't know her character's name, but played by Lee Purcell, is hitting on him, just hitting on this high school kid, and he turns her down, which I don't know who would turn her down, but anyway. I think he's just dense. But then later in the movie, doesn't, isn't he like having sex with Susie in their mom's bed? Yeah, I think it's
1: and, supposed to be sort of like this mystery as to who, like, you're supposed to think, you know, it's like misdirection, it's the red herring of the movie, you know, it, he. you think he likes the mom, and it turns out he always liked the daughter.
0: I thought for a second he was with a guy in the bed, and then I realized it was oh. the daughter... <laughs> but then like it's like this mystery that just has no resolution like you just find out and then they just never talk about it again they never show it again oh they're, they're
1: late to the uh junior prom with the cups because oh that's true yeah to get it on
0: and- you know the, the cup the, the hanging thread the loose thread about the cups
1: yeah
0: first of all i don't know why kids are tasked to bring paper goods and plastics and cups and whatever to a prom first of all and number two i don't know why only one person has to bring the cups it just seems like poor planning
1: yeah, that's a good that's a good point right there. You know, is it a uh, maybe maybe it was a, it had it was saying something about, you know, the making of this film. It was like a very low budget movie. and They didn't have a lot of money, so they're trying to express that.
0: So, after Nick Cage after Randy and Julie have their first date, uh he shows up at her parents' restaurant called Foods for Health. Yes. And he's like hiding behind a plant, I guess, just to be funny. And then he walks up and the dad is just totally cool with him. He just loves Nick Cage. Well,
1: this dad is like, can we talk about him just for a minute? I know it's not, yeah. it's not his podcast, but, you know.
0: He's kind of the best character in this
1: movie. He is amazing. It's it's uh, the cook from Apocalypse Now. I don't know. If, is it Yeah. And I heard the the... The one who plays his wife, she's in the deleted scenes of Apocalypse Now. I think she's one of the playgirls that that gets stuck and, and not. Okay. Uh, anyway, his character is like this ex hippie stoner, health food nut. So yeah. like, he just comes across like very well in this movie. Like he's hilarious, you know. Uh, he almost steals it.
0: And he and his new wife are totally okay with Julie being out all night on their on their first date. She shows up at like six or seven in the morning. And the mom is in the weirdest, most awkward yoga pose in the world. It's like when yoga she walks in. If you don't know yoga, basically pivoting her entire pelvic area toward the camera, and it just hovers there while she has lines.
1: Yeah, it doesn't look like an actual exercise move. It looks like <laughs> it looks like something someone says do do exercise. <laughs> just
0: got into and she and she did exercise, and it was it's <laughs> so weird. Okay. But they're both totally okay with her because Julie needs to become her own person.
1: Yeah, grounding you is bad karma, so, you know, we don't want that.
0: Yes, so when Nick Cage shows up to the restaurant, Dad's like, oh, yeah, you guys can go because she has flexible hours, so she doesn't have to be there when she wants to be there. It seems like she's, like, headed for a real rude awakening in the real world. But, I mean, I guess she always <laughs> has foods for
1: health that she can work at. Exactly. As soon as this movie's over, her life is going straight to hell.
0: And then later in the movie, and I don't want to skip too far ahead, but he basically has another round of cage advice where Julie goes to him and she's just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know whether I should date Tommy or I should date Randy. And he's just basically like, you have to do what feels right. And I guess what feels right is sort of hanging out with her friends instead of hanging out with the man she loves.
1: Yeah, he says, you know, like, follow your heart, and uh, it's She kind of succumbs to the peer pressure of her friends and you know, her friends get on her case, you know, you're not hanging out with us and she just sort of caves.
0: I really don't understand why her friends wouldn't let her hang out with Nick Cage. I think
1: it's just, you know, prejudice, right? Like, they don't understand that they share. Like, she says it herself. She doesn't even understand the bond, but she feels the connection, right? She's like, it doesn't even make sense to me, but I feel like we belong together. It's sort of a lesson as to, like, you know, if you could look past someone's cover and read the book, you might get like them. You know, you might see an entirely different person uh, than you thought was in front of you. So I think they're just like you know they're they're these materialistic high school girls who like Tommy because he's everything they were told they should try and obtain, and the you know the girl they idolize isn't doing that right. Like she's prom queen and like she's gonna blow it, and like they're more concerned than her. <laughs> so I don't know. I just I think it. I think that's what's going on.
0: I mean I think they could all learn something from Nick Cage, who when they're at the rock club. He says something along the lines of, we do the same things, but it's the way we do things that makes a difference. Yeah. So, you know, we all, we're all just kids. We're all just looking to have a good time. It's just the way we go about doing it is different. And just sort of open your mind, have a good time at this rock club, live a, live a little, enjoy Hollywood. You don't have to always live in the valley.
1: Yeah. You know, if you, if you open up a little more, you might end up having more fun than you were having, right? Yeah. Exactly. Open your mind to new opportunities. So just wanted to to mention quickly, you know, we get get our first montage here of them in love as they leave the health food store. It looks like it covers like a couple weeks maybe, a, a week at least.
0: It's a lot of them walking down major boulevards in L.A.
1: Yeah, there's, you know, he drops her off one night, they go and they get like a malt somewhere. They hang out at that place, that same place very often. It seems like a local hangout to, to someone they go to the mall and it's all scored perfectly to modern english i melt with you which
0: again plays over the closing credits it came out in 1982 reached number seven on the billboard top tracks it became popular because of mtv and because of the ending titles and a falling in love montage sequence in valley girl in the same year
1: right so this yeah.
0: movie is a big reason why that song is still a song that we know and remember and recognize
1: Excellent.
0: Which is amazing. It's a great song. It fits the montage perfectly. I'm not sure that it really works over the closing credits, but it doesn't really matter. I mean, they are melting with you, and they are going off (laughs) living together or whatever. So I guess it does work over the closing credits. I take that back. But that's sort of like the song of their romance.
1: Yeah, it sums them up perfectly, right? Time has frozen so that they could fall in love.
0: But then, you know, Julie's under pressure from her friend. She talks to her dad. Her dad says, follow your heart and she breaks up with Nick Cage. but Nick Cage shows up to her house and knocks on her door, and she, just out of nowhere, to him at least, is just so mean. Yeah. She, like, she, he's, he's done nothing to warrant this, and she just does not want to have anything to do with him.
1: I mean, she could... I mean, again, she is... They are teenagers, but you would think that she could just be honest and explain that uh, <laughs> her friends are pressuring her to stop hanging out with them. Uh, but I guess we wouldn't have the conflict that we want. So, you know, she totally just, like... I don't... I hate to use this word, but she just goes into full bitch mode. like She does. Like, it's just very... I was like, whoa! It was like, let him down a little easy, but it's like she really, like, tries to make it that he never wants to see her again.
0: But we do have to give her credit for the way that she did it because it inspires him to have the first real cage meltdown in his career. And it is the best reaction to a breakup i think i've ever seen in a movie
1: you can't see me anymore Is it your father is it your
0: mother just let me talk to them i can really fix no you.
1: there's nothing to fix it's not them it's not them at all it's me okay i can't see you anymore okay
0: okay okay i know what it is i know what it is i know what this is it's your fucking friends right Shit, Julie, I mean, what is this? It's between you and me, not between the rest of the fucking world. So fuck off. It's your friends. Well, fuck you. Now fuck off for sure. Like, totally.
1: Yeah, and I think this leads into the Dark Knight of the Soul for Nick Cage, where...
0: Which features the weirdest on-screen vomiting I've ever seen. Well,
1: we'll get to that. First First. (laughs) First, he just, he gets, like, I mean, now you can see, you know, we're getting a little preview of leaving Las Vegas here. He yes. gets shit-faced.
0: Like, he's he's willing right now, his character right now, is willing to drink himself to death. Like, he is talking
1: to himself. Yeah. <laughs> he's just wandering the streets of L.A. talking to himself and drinking. Uh, and then he wanders into the club, right, like his, his hangout. And I guess he runs into his ex-girlfriend, Samantha. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, they don't say boyfriend-girlfriend, but he's like, you know, she's like, I wasn't looking for you. And he's like, I haven't been looking for you, like, for a while. And then they, like, go into the bathroom and, and they bang? I guess. But what's
0: weird, what I don't understand, and maybe you can explain to me, is while they're making out in the stall, these two girls come in to smoke a cigarette. And he's just like... He's more into them than into Samantha. And I guess that's just showing that, you know, he really only wants to be with Julie. He's not really into Samantha. But it's just weird how much devotion or how much attention he's paying other people instead of the girl that he's making out with as he's looking around
1: yeah i took that as like he's down the spiral like it's not even pleasurable he's just doing it to sort of dig a deeper ditch for himself you know mentally and emotionally to sort of crawl back out of at this point should never crawl out of right He, he he wants to die he wanders out of the club and challenges like a gang of of like hispanic gang well
0: they flick a cigarette at him, they which flick is a f- cigarette at him. And then he like basically just barks at them and then the guy comes out and he's holding a cane, but he's not holding a cane because he needs a cane. He's holding a cane basically because he's a pimp. That's always the wrong guy to mess with.
1: Yeah. You know, he'll use that cane as a weapon. Uh, because he doesn't need it because he has a limp.
0: He, he has the other reason I can think
1: of him needing a cane is as a weapon.
0: Yes. And so out of nowhere, his friend from earlier in the movie comes and grabs him and like rushes him down the side alley and the, the the car of you know people about to kill him drive away nick cage is so blackout drunk so messed up so broken hearted that he doesn't even recognize his friend
1: yeah he doesn't even recognize his friend he tries to pick a fight with him
0: and he's like hey man it's me it's your friend they're trying to have a conversation and this is the weirdest vomiting on screen it's like they didn't have it in their budget to have like fake vomit He just turns his head into the shadows against the wall and just like makes vomiting noises.
1: I don't feel so good. I'm I'm
0: gonna be sick. Oh, God. leave me
1: alone. What's extra weird about it is there's no, like, um, ADR vomit like hitting the concrete noise you know what I'm saying like there's no splash after it's just him going like huh, like heaving and he doesn't even really wipe any spittle away from his mouth afterwards so I'm wondering if he's just dry heaving at this point but he does say I'm sick so I think he's supposed to be really vomiting for real
0: it's very strange whatever you know his
1: intent is going it's yeah. real yeah. weird yeah. <laughs> It's a bizarre performance. Um, I mean, well, it's very Cage.
0: But then he has the idea. He decides that he's going to win Julie back no matter what it takes. And he goes into this sequence of scenes that are legitimately like, charming and funny and romantic. It's, it, it wins Julie back, and uh, eventually. And like, rightfully so, because she's loving, she is loving how, how, how focused he is, how dedicated he is.
1: This is like a Cage Undercover, right? Master of the Skies, time. Like, he is just going to pop up wherever she is. Like, you know, like, he doesn't, but he would jump out of, like, a garbage can and be like, you know, I love yeah. you. But yeah, At he, first, like,
0: she, she gets picked up to go to school, and then as she closes the door, he just hops in the other door. And all of her friends freak out and leave the car, and they just have a little bit of a talk. And then he enters this Masters of Disguise thing.
1: Well, he uh, requests a song for her on the radio, which was like yes. super. I don't even know if people do that anymore because radio is sort
0: of yeah. Well, nobody listens to the radio. I don't even know what the equivalent of that would be.
1: I don't know, skywriting something. <laughs> I don't even know at this point. I think
0: that's it's just sort of like you know I don't
1: I don't know creating a a Spotify playlist for someone. Right. Yeah that's just another thing lost to time. (sighs)
0: So he requests a song for her and she's in her bedroom with her friend and she's she smiles or whatever.
1: He hides pictures of himself in her history book.
0: (laughs) Which is adorable.
1: Flipping through the pages and sees like these little pictures of him.
0: He then is like the ticket taker at a movie theater. Oh that's
1: the best. He's got the 3D glasses on and like the red bow tie and everything.
0: And None of her friends recognize him, but she does and smiles. And he's just, and they're like, "Oh man, is it a 3D movie?" Oh, and, like, and he
1: goes, "No, but your faces," <laughs>
0: <laughs> which doesn't make any sense, but it's still great. And then he does, you know, probably my favorite. He's like a guy like on roller skates at a burger joint yeah. and comes out and then just gives them their food and then spits his gum on Tommy. <laughs> yeah and Tommy Tommy just brushed off he's just like "Oh man what a nerd
1: uh, it appears as though well you uh, forgot a french fries and a coke fish head. Oh well Peter buy Victor Pepper
0: I guess I did oh I'm sh- sorry oh, <laughs> <laughs> nuts <laughs> a geek
1: yeah like Cage tries to I make mean, it's supposed to look like an accident and stuff but like he's really as much as he's trying to get Julie back he's trying to get to Tommy as well, and like Irkham and, t- and Tommy
0: just—he's just so dumb that he doesn't—he doesn't get it. Yeah,
1: he's too dense as well. Like there's something in the water in the valley, I suppose that <laughs> the boys are clueless. But it's the
0: great—that's like—it's—it's it's not like a montage. Like it's not set to music. It's not like the "I melt with you" montage from earlier. But it's sort of you know a montage and like a sequence of like little things. And I just love it entirely and completely.
1: Now there's the—I think this is the last one when she wakes up and she like looks out the window and he's been sleeping in her f- oh yeah heart. it's like it's <laughs> like say anything to the hundredth power <laughs>
0: it's basically like if say anything if he got tired of holding up the boom box and then brought out a sleeping bag and just fell asleep <laughs> and then she woke up to that yeah i don't know what his plan was there because i mean she's on the first floor he could just knock on her window
1: her parents love him like he could just be like like talk to them like that would be a cool scene trying to like talk to her dad and be like you know what's up with julie and the dad can just be like she'll come around man like you know she's just not used to this or something exactly it could have been interesting but it doesn't happen i understand you know
0: but anyway so then it comes time for prom, prom he does he doesn't win her back but he's sort of in her heart he he gets back on her good graces and they get ready for prom and to this point i hate tommy you're supposed to hate tommy But I have to say, his pink suit is amazing.
1: There's something about him in that pink suit that makes you go, like, I bet, like, he's not really that bad. Like, if I didn't see him almost date rape someone, like, if that scene wasn't in the movie, uh, I'd think, I'd kind of think different about Tommy.
0: But that suit is so amazing that it almost erases all the other flaws that he's built up to this point. Well, I don't know. I
1: can't get over that early scene of him at the party. It's just super, it's like him kicking a dog, or... That's like true. Shooting a kid. <laughs> I
0: did, I did say almost. I'm you not going to you you I'm not going to like completely wipe the slate clean. Why do you love Tommy
1: now? Like, this is like... I
0: just I just love Tommy. <laughs> but then they go to the they go to prom. Health food dad is freaking out because his little girl is growing up. There's like like he's having his he's, he's, he, he, he's living his own movie while this movie is going on. He is.
1: And he's in like in the middle of like a flashback for filming Apocalypse Now at this point, like the actor. I
0: seriously <laughs> Freaking out. He freaks out. He he goes to, quote, look for the camera, but he just goes to the bathroom and just, like, lights up a joint just because he can't deal with his girl growing up. (laughs) And, like, they pay – like, he's basically – we know more about him than almost everybody else in the movie. And he's barely in the movie. Yeah. It's wonderful. So they finally get to the dance. And, again, like, the the one thing that, like, sort of I remember most about the dance, which is just so weird, and it might be a song of the era. I'm going to look it up right now. It is. And maybe it's there there there's the song Johnny Are You Queer Boy.
1: Yeah, by Josie Cotton, who's who they got to play the dance. The,
0: Which is it's so weird.
1: Yeah, uh, last last week we had in Ridgemont High, you know, the, the like uh instead of the kick me sign, the I'm a homo sign, and yeah but now we have the Are You Queer song. So. It's
0: like it's like they they're aware of gay people, but they're not okay with it. <laughs> it's sort of the same way like I don't think it's fair that this punk band can dress like Nick Cage and all these preppy Valley kids at Valley High are okay with them because they're sort of the entertainment.
1: Right.
0: But Nick Nick Cage dresses, you know, in his... Not even, like, super extreme. He just sort of dresses differently than they do and it's, like, too much for them to handle.
1: Maybe it's just that they're a band. (laughs) They're supposed to look, like, eccentric, but kids are... Kids are supposed to look like you, so, like, Nick Cage is just too different. No, no, I'm just trying to justify it.
0: <laughs> and then, so, Nick Cage and his friend, they don't even have to sneak into the, the prom. They just sort of, like, walk into prom. Well, we don't really see how
1: they get in, right? They just sort of, like, appear at the prom. They walk, like, around the corner, and, like, they're at prom, and then next time you see them, they're, they're sneaking backstage.
0: And, they're backstage because they're about to announce the prom king and prom queen. And the, and
1: the whole plan, it's revealed, is um, there is no plan. Which I, exactly. love, I love that, actually. I love, <laughs> I love the balls on, on that kid to be like, I got a plan, man, I got this. And then they get there and it's like, this is the plan, you know? the plan is there is no plan. They're as crowned king and queen, though, right? Well, as they're
0: getting crowned king and queen, in the longest and most awkward and depressing speech <laughs> ever given at prom, pretty much, you know, this faculty member who wished she was prom queen and wasn't, and was sort of reminiscing of a past she didn't have, Nick Cage just starts fighting
1: Tommy. He says, and then, I'm going to give you the chance that I never had. Which doesn't make sense. I don't understand that because he's kicked Nick Cage's ass like twice at this point. He's like, yeah, he's had this chance. But yeah, you're right. Nick Cage just like sucker punches him. And Tommy doesn't flinch. He starts busting out, like, kung fu moves.
0: Yeah, because, like, so Nick Cage (laughs) gets off one punch, and then the second punch, Tommy just, like, arm blocks and then counters. Like, it's crazy. Like, if there's, like, fight choreography for this fight between two high school kids. I'm
1: thinking he's not – I'm thinking Johnny now from Karate Kid, you know, the blonde bully and this blonde bully. I'm like, was karate, like, something – I guess karate was big in the 80s. Like, it was big for bullies to know karate.
0: And so then, eventually, Nick Cage knocks Tommy down, drags him off stage, and then nobody in the crowd seems to react to the fact that Nick Cage is there. I guess most of them don't know who he is.
1: It's kind of a strange, I love it because it feels so real, but it's definitely an awkward moment when the band starts playing, the king and queen are announced, and the curtains are drawn, and you see Nick Cage and Tommy fighting. You know? And, and like, nobody it's, reacts. It's like almost a moment out of the office where it's just like this is so awkward and strange what is going on. It doesn't it's not fitting the flow of anything. But then he knocks out Tommy and like drag I love how he drags him, um, and then takes his place as prom king.
0: And then they just they run down and then you know Tommy recovers and his friends come after them. And then they take these plates of just look what looks like, you know, cake icing. It doesn't look like there's food. It's just like icing on a plate. Yeah. And they're just
1: throwing icing. Right? Food fight, big time. I mean, that's their big escape plan is like, I'm going to start a food fight and you crawl out under the table. and.
0: Which is great. That's super smooth. They don't go over. They go under, which is real classy. And they duck out. And then they sneak into the car that Tommy and Julie came and they drive off into the sunset.
1: We're into the moonlight.
0: In, in a final shot that reminded me of The Graduate. Yes. That she's in this white dress, he's in this suit. But instead of being like the most awkward and sort of depressing, this isn't what we bargained for, this is exactly what they both wanted.
1: Yeah, it was a nice nod, and it was sort of a reversal, right? Like They took the same concept, and instead of making it depressing, <laughs> well, it wasn't depressing, but they made it a hopeful shot at the end. I love that. There's also a graduate reference earlier on when when – um, Skip delivers the groceries and the mom's seducing him. She goes, uh, she says something about plastics. Did you catch that? Yeah, I think I
0: heard that. I, I don't know if I caught the reference.
1: Thing. In The in the Graduate, when uh, when he gets, when they have the party in the beginning, You know, yeah. he goes out and the guy's like, let me give you a little bit of advice. Plastics, it's like a famous line from The Graduate. Okay. So the mom just drops a line from The Graduate hoping that the kid is going to pick up the hint that she wants to play Mrs. Robinson, you know? Uh, but, you know, it's it, the joke is that, like, he's too young to have seen The Graduate, so he doesn't understand the line.
0: I feel like that's, like, another example of, like, people in this movie living through other movies. Mm. That, like, you know, the dad is doing Apocalypse Now, Susie's mom is doing The Graduate, all these parents are, like, living other movies, and they're not really... Too subtle about it. Like they're just sort of like, "Hey, these are the people that you, you know, like these are like the references that you, to movies that everybody's seen. This is just what's happening, and we're just gonna like, it's just gonna happen." It's interesting. I don't really think of
1: older movies in that way, but they do that nowadays with comedies a lot, and I don't necessarily like it when they allude to popular movies of the day. But they're right. doing it here, and it feels natural to a degree. I don't know. I don't know why that is. Maybe just because I'm we're older and more aware. But
0: yeah, so so that's Valley Girl. I really liked it. I still think that, you know, of the three movies that we watched, I think my favorite is still Fast Times, but this is the first real Nick Cage vehicle that we've seen. This is the first of many that we're going to see where he's in the driver's seat. This is all pretty much about him. It's also about, you know, Valley Girl herself, but this is sort of his first real deal.
1: Yeah, his leading male, his first male leading role.
0: And he's 18 years old. Like, it's it's weird to me. Like, nowadays, it's rare that I don't even know if it, if it ever happens. I'm sure there are examples, but it doesn't seem like there's anybody who just comes out of nowhere to like star in a movie.
1: Well you know what they do, they usually find someone that they could wrangle for like four movies and they become like the face of a franchise. Like that new like the new Spider Man kid. Well I'm thinking like Twilight, where the kid the kid who played the I am not very good with that those movies. I don't know. The 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 guy who played the, the lead vampire, you know? It's like Robin Pattinson? Yeah, Robin yeah, Pattinson. Like he could have been probably like a very promising actor, except that he sort of got pigeonholed into being the Twilight vampire. You know, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's
0: just it's it's strange like he basically came out of nowhere. He was, and we talked about this on other episodes, he was the second lead in a TV show. He was going to be basically, you know, one of the three or four big stars of the next movie, and then he's the star of his next movie. Okay. Like, it's just, it's such a rise to, to sort of prominence so quickly.
1: Yeah, and uh, I also I heard in the special features that Judd Nelson was up for his role in this movie.
0: Oh, yeah, you listened to the uh, director's commentary. Was there anything worth sharing from that?
1: Um, a couple things, I suppose. This this movie was shot in twenty days.
0: Wow, that's really fast.
1: Yeah, they had like no, they had like under three hundred, uh, under I think it was under four hundred thousand dollars at the time to shoot the whole movie. I listened to the to the director's commentary, but I wasn't really trying to pull like too many facts. Sure, to load it up.
0: I mean, did she drop any like real juicy cage nuggets or not? Really? Okay, so this was a
1: pretty cool story she told that. He was filming Rumblefish at the same time that okay. filming this movie. And he's like, ah, you know, I don't know if I could get the time off from that movie to to do this movie. And she's like, um, well, the director, Martha Coolidge, it comes from Zoetrope Productions. And Zoetrope is Francis Ford Coppola's production company. And she goes to Nick Cage. She goes, oh, I know Francis... I know the director. We're like family. Like, Let me talk to him. Let me try and see if I could get you out of the deal. And she said Nick Cage gave him gave her this look like he couldn't understand what was happening, right? And he <laughs> just sort of walked, walks out. And she tells the story making a phone call to to be like, you know, I need Nick Cage. I need, and they're like, there is no Nick Cage on this movie. There's Nick Coppola. Right. And everybody had a big laugh. And Francis just thought it was hilarious. So... You know, sure enough, they made the schedules work. That's awesome. Yeah, I thought that was pretty...
0: pretty so that's, I guess I really like the moment in time, or right around then, where he actually sort of made the the name transition.
1: Oh, I guess we'll find out in Rumblefish what is he credited as, maybe... I think he's Nick Cage. They must have had to do some 11th hour editing on the credits for that movie <laughs> to change his name.
0: Yeah, it's... I don't know. But yeah, so Rumblefish is the next movie that we're going to be doing. So this was the end of the first week of Cage Club. I hope you all enjoyed it. So next week, their schedule is going to be Rumblefish, Racing with the Moon, and The Cotton Club. Three movies that I've never seen. Two that I don't even know if I've heard of before I started looking for all of his movies.
1: Have you seen any of these three movies? I've seen Rumblefish once. Racing with the Moon, I've seen parts of, but never in its entirety. And I wasn't aware he was in it when I was watching okay. it. Um, and then the cotton club i did see once also about somewhere around like 2006 2007 um and i don't remember much of it
0: so ne- it seems like next week will be totally fresh for me and still pretty fresh for you yeah and that's exactly the kind of week that we like to see here at cage club <laughs> so any last thoughts about valley girl that we didn't get to no i i think everyone should check it out I agree. Doesn't look like it's available anywhere. But the DVD is really cheap on Amazon. Valley Girl is definitely worth checking out. I really liked it a lot. So that's a good end of the episode. That is Mike Manzi. I'm Joey Lewandowski. Hope you enjoyed. See you next week.